Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 519 for the 13th of November, 2016. This week, the 2017 version of Photoshop adds surprising features in surprising locations. Microsoft goes after designers and artists with its new Surface Studio, but makes some of the same mistakes it made with the Surface Pro. In short circuits, Microsoft patched 68 vulnerabilities on Patch Tuesday, which also happened to be Election Day. Kaspersky Lab says there's a shortage of people who want to search out and destroy malware. In spare parts, only on the website, those who had their personal information stolen from the U.S. Office of Personnel Management are now being targeted for malware. Financial institutions are under unrelenting attacks as a provider of measures designed to prevent those attacks. And a bank in Bangladesh will recover $15 million that was stolen electronically but the full theft was $81 million. Regardless of the application involved, the day of blockbuster updates is past. In the early days, Adobe or Corel or Zara would release a new version that contained amazing, never-before-seen features. Well, that was the 1980s and 1990s. Today, we occasionally see a new big feature, but new features today generally improve reliability or speed, or they improve an existing function. Adobe has certainly done that with version 2017 of Photoshop. Several versions back, the content-aware features began to be added, and each subsequent version has improved the existing content-aware features or added new ones. That's true in the 2017 version, but other enhancements appear in what you might consider to be mundane areas. The file dialog, for example. What could be more mundane than that? The file menu will display thumbnail images of files you've recently worked on so you can open an existing file, but the real power of the new menu becomes apparent when you choose New from the file menu. Now, some people hate change. If you're that person, you can turn off this new file menu by visiting the Preferences menu, opening the General tab, and then selecting Use Legacy New Document Interface. But hold off doing that. Try this for a week or two. I think you'll like it. The Recent tab in the File New dialog will display Photoshop's default size templates, any templates you've downloaded, and settings that you have created and saved. For example, if you frequently create images that are 1,200 pixels wide by 800 pixels tall, save a template. You can also include the color space, background, orientation, and more. Now, in addition to saving a little bit of time when you create a new document, this ensures some other things. It ensures that you'll always have the right color space, the right background, the right orientation, the right color profile, and the right pixel aspect ratio just the ones you want so you don't have to select them each and every time. On the Photo tab of the File New menu, you'll find a variety of effects and templates that you can download and use. Some of these are free, 
but you should expect to see others added so that you can purchase them. Be sure to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. There are, of course, some screenshots and examples of what I'm talking about today. I downloaded a photo collage template. It's a single file, but it contains a nice variety of templates that are designed to be used with multiple images. The template sections are smart objects. If you're not familiar with how to use a smart object, you might be frustrated by this. Take a little bit of time, maybe 15-20 minutes, to review some of the online tutorials from Adobe or elsewhere so that you'll understand how to insert images into these objects. Once you've mastered that, it takes just a few minutes to put together a fun collage. You'll see one of them on the TechBiter Worldwide website, one with four of my friends. The Properties dialog has been improved, and in fact, this might be the 2017 version's WOW feature. But first, you have to notice that it's there. The Properties dialog should be a part of your default layout. It's not there by default, though, so you'll need to add it and make it part of your setup. It's context-sensitive, so the information provided is appropriate to whatever you have selected. I selected a type layer, and the Properties dialog offered the most common attributes, typeface, X and Y coordinates, size, alignment, and color. If you need more, click the Advanced button for full access to the Character Format tab. Oh, and speaking of typefaces, and I, I was just doing that, speaking of typefaces, you can now type emojis. Select the Typeface Emoji 1 or Sego UI Emoji, and select a character, place it, and then you can make it any size you want. Do you need emojis every day? Yeah, probably not. But when you do, Photoshop makes including them really easy. Now, I mentioned content-aware features at the beginning of this segment, so that brings us to liquefying faces. Face-aware liquify is not new. It was introduced last year. But there are worthwhile improvements in the 2017 version. For one thing, it's faster than before. But the primary new feature is the ability to work on each eye individually. To see what I could do, I selected a face that could really use some liquefaction. Mine. Handsome devil that I am, you might notice that my right eye, that's the one on the left in the picture, appears to be smaller because I was squinting a bit. Well, I'd like to fix that. Wait, but first, let's see if I can remove a few pounds. I narrowed my face somewhat. This can be done by dragging a white line that surrounds what Photoshop identifies as the face. And then Photoshop does all the heavy lifting. And those who are more comfortable with sliders or with entering numbers manually can do that instead of dragging the line. In the previous version, when you wanted to work on eyes, you'd find that they were linked. Changing one eye changed the other. Well, now it's possible to modify each eye individually. That's what I did. In addition to making my slightly demented smile a bit more demented and narrowing my nose a little bit. Check out the before and after images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Take a look particularly at the right eye, which is on the left. The smile, the nose, the overall width of the face. These are the kinds of changes that can be made if you're a portrait photographer that may please your subject. Don't give them a demented smile. If you're an Adobe Creative Cloud subscriber, you already have all of these new features and dozens of other updates, improvements, and tweaks. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to work them all into your daily workflow. With apologies to the original Mission Impossible. <laughs>
Pushing further into hardware territory, Microsoft has introduced Surface Studio, Surface Dial, and an upgraded Surface Book. The Surface Studio might be seen as an effort to push further into Apple's territory by appealing to developers. The Studio transforms from a workstation into what Microsoft calls a digital canvas with a thin LCD monitor that offers Ultra HD 4.5K screen resolution on a 28-inch screen. has 63% more pixels than a state-of-the-art 4K television, works with pen, touch, and the Surface dial, and the keyboard and mouse, of course, if you want. The dial, though, is an interesting input that allows users to compose and create by placing both hands right on the screen. Just over the horizon, there's an update coming to the Windows operating system, the Windows 10 Creators Update, that will be released early next year. The update is intended to make it possible for users to work in 3D and mixed reality. The Edge browser will be updated, too, and it'll support 3D images. Mixed reality blends real-world images with virtual images. Microsoft and House created a proof of concept by developing an application that uses the Microsoft Edge browser on HoloLens to allow homeowners to preview products in their own home before they buy them. The studio's 28-inch display has 13.5 million pixels and a zero-gravity hinge. That's what Microsoft calls it, a zero-gravity hinge. The hinge allows the screen to be adjusted for various uses. In vertical mode, it's a standard desktop computer, but when the screen is adjusted to studio mode, it sits at a 20-degree angle, pretty much like a drafting board that would be used for sketching, writing, and designing. The Surface Studio starts at $3,000, or in Microsoft terms, $2,999. It is currently available for pre-order only in the U.S., through Microsoft Stores, MicrosoftStore.com, and BestBuy.com. A few units will be shipped before the end of the year. But if you want a functional computer, plan on spending more than $3,000, perhaps quite a bit more. More about that in just a moment. And check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see a little video that shows the Microsoft Surface Studio in operation. You might want to buy a dial to go along with your new studio, that's a $100, sorry, Microsoft $99, a $100 edition. The dial integrates with Windows 10 to enable new ways of scrolling, zooming, and navigating. You stick the dial directly on the screen, and it'll display a set of digital tools that are specific to whatever app is open. For example, changing the color or size of a brush tip without moving the pen away from the screen. A combination of dial, pen, and touch creates a really nice tactile experience. The Surface Studio is clearly aimed at artists, designers, and maybe even architects. Many of these people would use Macs or possibly a Wacom Cintiq drawing tablet. For that reason, the $3,000 base model tag isn't really too far out of line. But that's for a computer with just one terabyte of internal drive, an Intel Core i5 CPU, and only 8 gigabytes of RAM, and a 2 gigabyte graphics processing unit. Unless expanded substantially, that is a machine that will sorely disappoint the intended market. For $3,500, users can step up to an Intel Core i7 CPU with 16 gigabytes of RAM. That's better. But still just a 2 gigabyte GPU. If you're willing to spend $4,200, you'll get a 2 terabyte internal drive, 32 gigabytes of RAM, and a 4 gigabyte GPU. More internal storage is nice, but hardly essential. This is a big computer, 
one that's going to spend most of its time on a desk so it can be attached to a virtually unlimited amount of storage on external drives. If you're not in Microsoft's target market, buying a Surface Studio would be unnecessarily expensive. If you are in the target market, though, this could be the ideal computer for you. Drawing on the screen beats learning how to coordinate eyes and hands between the screen and a separate drawing tablet. But just as Microsoft made a mistake by not including the keyboard and protective cover with Surface Pro tablets, that mistake has been repeated with the Surface Studio. The Surface Dial is critical to the machine's operation, and yet Microsoft chose not to include it, but to make it a $100 option. Who makes decisions like these? There are some other changes on the Surface. A new Surface Book with performance base, that's Microsoft's term, performance base, has been released. Three new Surface Book models feature sixth-generation Intel Core i7 processors and longer battery life. Now, Microsoft claims 16 hours for local video playback. That probably means you have to turn off the Wi-Fi and other power-hungry features to get 16 hours. Surface Book with performance base starts at $2,400. Microsoft, of course, says that is $2,399. And it is available now in stores in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. The Windows 10 Creators Update should be available early in 2017. In Microsoft terms, that usually means sometime in the first quarter. It includes a new version of Paint that works in 3D, hence the name Paint 3D. Microsoft is partnering with Trimble to bring the 3D modeling program SketchUp and its millions of creators and creations from 3D Warehouse to Remix3D.com. This could potentially create some friction with Adobe, but Adobe's applications typically have far more capabilities than anything Microsoft has. To learn more about 3D in Windows 10, visit the Microsoft Remix 3D site. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide site. And Windows Insiders will be able to preview the Windows 10 Creators Update through the Windows Insider program. If you're interested in that, there's also a link there from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, it's only a coincidence that Patch Tuesday, the second Tuesday of every month, coincided with a presidential election day, the second Tuesday of November every four years. It was a busy one. Microsoft patched 68 vulnerabilities spread across Windows, the Office Suite, the Windows 10 browser Edge, and the other browser, Internet Explorer, and Microsoft's SQL Server. Microsoft issued 14 security bulletins to describe the changes. Six are critical, eight are important. One involved cooperation with Adobe to upgrade the Flash Player in Windows 10 and Windows 8.1. You are on your own if you are still using Windows 8, Windows 7, or Windows XP. Bulletin M16-135 covers the most serious issue. It's a zero-day vulnerability that has been exploited, but not widely. This is the one that Google disclosed last week, 10 days after notifying Microsoft about it. Bulletin MS-16-132 is also labeled critical. The associated patch fixes various remote code execution vulnerabilities. One of these is yet another zero-day flaw that Microsoft says is already being exploited. 
Bulletins M16-129 and 142 addressed problems with Internet Explorer and Edge. The flaws had been disclosed previously. As far as Microsoft knows, there have not been any successful exploits of that problem. Bulletin MS-16-133 addresses an issue with Office. Microsoft rates it as important, that's one step below critical, but if you receive and work with a lot of Word documents, you probably ought to bump this one up in your own category listing to critical. Bulletin MS-16-136 covers Microsoft SQL Server vulnerabilities, and this one's important only if you use the Microsoft Relational Database Management System. And if you do, you've probably already got that one installed. Savvy youth could plug a widening skills gap as employers seek to combat the growing threat of cybercrime and divert mass disruption to public and private lives, according to Moscow-based Kaspersky Lab. The industry is failing to provide a clear path for young people to find work, hone their skills, and serve society, the company says. Instead, they're being tempted to exacerbate cybercrime rather than prevent it. In a wide-ranging survey of 12,000 consumers and IT professionals from across the U.S. and Europe, Kaspersky Lab found that those who are under 25, highly skilled, and highly impressionable are already inured to the shock of large-scale cyber hacks. Their concern only marginally outruns their curiosity and even regard for these types of crimes. Here's the bad news. More than half of those under 25 consider hacking to be an impressive skill and only a third feel uncomfortable about people who have such skills. Although about a quarter have considered a career in cybersecurity, and half say it'd be a good use of their talent, many others admit that they would use their skills for fun, secretive activities, and financial gain instead. Eugene Kaspersky, the chairman and CEO of Kaspersky Lab, says that industry and education must do more to recruit the younger generation of cyber professionals, and the warning signs are clear. The frequency and profile of teenage cyber attacks is growing, he says, with each generation's competency, as well as with the ready availability of malware as a service. Whether directing these exploits or serving as foot soldiers in the pay of criminal gangs, teenage hackers have been linked with many high-profile cyber crimes in recent years, including attacks on Sony and Target. Kaspersky Lab says that more must be done at the employer level to encourage young people to enter cybersecurity careers. The company recently launched a talent lab. It's an international competition for university students and young professionals aged 18 to 30 and encourages talent to find innovative solutions to various cybersecurity challenges. The top prizes include a $10,000 grant towards further education, participation at the Cannes Lions, and invitation to the Security Analyst Summit. And I have an invitation to spare parts. It's just for you and only on the website. This week, those who had their personal information stolen from the U.S. Office of Personnel Management are now being targeted for malware. Financial institutions are under unrelenting attacks as a provider of measures designed to prevent those attacks. 
and a bank in Bangladesh will recover $15 million that was stolen electronically, but the full theft was $81 million. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.